0: Say sunny, Sunday morning. The air is still, the sky is blue. So is it another day in paradise? Or is that just a painful joke? Another day in paradise? Day in hell? And a day lost between the worlds. What kind of day it is always depends on the attitude. The world is formed of the attitude of this heart. As the Buddha said, that whereby one is a perceiver of the world a conceiver of the world that is called the world in this dhamma and discipline and what is it whereby one is a perceiver of the world a conceiver of the world the eye the ear the nose the tongue the body the mind the worlds is the world of our experience, the experiential field of this heart, this mind. This is the world, our own mind's version. This is the world. So is it a day in paradise, day in hell, a day in between worlds? How is it? Everything hinges, everything rests upon the attitude, the way that the the heart holds, the experience of the world, the way it relates to it. Everything depends on that. Physically we can be in great pain, a lot of illness or physical difficulty, and yet be completely at ease, completely unhindered, totally comfortable in attitude with miserable, painful, physical conditions. Just as the Buddha said to Nakulapitta, this very elderly disciple, the Buddha said, <clears throat> when Nakula Pitta asked him about this, you know, what's more uh, important, to be afflicted in body or afflicted in mind? What's most significant? The Buddha said, uh, to be afflicted in body, to be aged, and sickly, pained, but unafflicted in the mind. This is a a great blessing, a great advantage. To have physical comfort, to be unafflicted in the body, but afflicted in mind. That's a, a heavy burden, an obstruction, obstacle. So what kind of day it is today depends on this body, this mind. The attitude that comes forth from this life is not dependent on the weather, the season, the place where we're living, the state of the body. None of those need to be the deciding factor. It all rests upon the attitude. When the world is known in this way, as the world that is built up of this field of experience, these perceptions, these thoughts, then it's more easily recognized that this is not a person. The mind is not a person. The world doesn't have to be experienced or judged in a self-centred way, in a person-centred way. Rather, here is the quality of awareness, knowing sound arising and passing, feeling arising and passing, perceptions of light and form, smell and taste and touch arising and passing, moods, comfort and discomfort, alertness and sleepiness, arising and passing, ideas, memories, imagination, arising and passing. So the establishment of right view is to recognize the mind is not a person, it's not a self, doesn't belong to a self. And that the world is not a thing out there, but rather the world is this set of perceptions and thoughts generated here, known right here. And when things are talked about in this way, then it can be regarded as a very passive position. Just the quality of awareness knowing the world arising and passing, like uh, sitting in a a chair in in a cinema, watching a film, just running before our vision, and there being a disconnection between the observer and the film being watched and listened to. It's out there. There's a lack of connection, a lack of relatedness. And when in reading meditation guidance or hearing Dhamma talks, and people use language like being the observer, being the watcher, the silent witness. And this can all lend a sense to. A feeling of passivity. Don't interfere. Don't do anything. Just watch. Just be aware. And we can follow that kind of advice sincerely, but if it's grasped in the wrong way, then that sincerity can lead to a uh, an unnatural disconnection, an unhelpful disconnection. a rejection of the sense world, a rejection of thought and feeling, of emotion. Trying to just be the observer, just be the watcher, just be the silent witness. Then, even though we're trying to follow instructions or we feel like we're doing the right thing, in actual fact, we can be, uh, say, frustrating or obstructing the natural responsivity of the heart, the natural relatedness of this being to its field of experience, this heart to that which it knows, it can be a kind of vibhavatana, a rejecting, an annihilating, a pushing away, a kind of switching off and deadening of the heart. Because this heart, this mind, this being is part of the universe that's being watched. It participates. This life participates in all other life. It's connected, related. Sometimes in the effort to be aware or to be unattached or to be the watcher, the witness. we can be unconsciously switching off, obstructing that natural relatedness, that natural responsivity, the natural attunement of this life to all other life. And when things need to adjust or adapt or to be given a direction, we can foolishly obstruct that or deaden that, block that, feeling like, I should just sit here, I should just watch, I should just feel, shouldn't do anything, shouldn't try to get anything, shouldn't give any kind of direction, that's all desire, that's all the world, I should just watch. So that's perhaps picked up, and adopted with a good intention, but unconsciously we can be creating more more dukkha, deadening the heart or deadening, obstructing the natural responsivity of the heart, obstructing the ability of this life, this body, this mind, to adapt, to adjust to changing circumstances, changing perceptions. If the Buddha's way was to to not act in relationship to what is known, this would mean that There would be no giving of any kind of direction. There would be no cultivation of skillful qualities. Any kind of giving a direction or having an intention would be an obstacle to to the path, to realization. But in the Eightfold Path, at least half of the, the factors of the Eightfold Path are about making choices. Right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort. These are all about making skillful choices, giving direction. Doing this rather than doing that. Going this direction rather than that direction. So there must be a way that making choices, giving direction, making effort, can be fully in accord with the path. Fully in accord with Dhamma. So, if we wish to understand non attachment in a more skillful way, this means we learn how to relate to decision making, to the cultivation of effort we are, we learn to relate to that in a different way the obstacle is not the what wa- uh, the watching or the doing or the choosing the obstacle is not giving direction or making choices but rather the obstacle is self view because even if it's Me, just watching the mind, me simply observing, me being the witness, there's still me there. Now if the heart is freed of self-view, then choices can be made, direction can be given. without that being obstructive to the path, without that being some kind of disturbance of the universe, disturbance of the world. but Rather, it's acting in accordance with the world. The heart is in tune with Dhamma, with its own nature. When the Buddha defined right effort, there's four factors to that. The restraining of the unwholesome from arising. And if the unwholesome has arisen, to let it go. To consciously cultivate the wholesome. And if the wholesome has arisen, to maintain it, to sustain it. Is a sangvara, restraining. Pahana, letting go. Bhavana, cultivating. Anurakana, protecting or maintaining. When effort is really sama, is right, then there's efforts to recognize and let go of the unwholesome, to cultivate and sustain the wholesome. If they're not guided by self-view, then that choosing of the wholesome, that letting go of the unwholesome, that's completely in accordance with dhamma. It's no obstruction or intrusion Disturbance, but that giving of direction, letting go of the unwholesome, cultivating the wholesome. It doesn't have to be based on self-view. It doesn't have to be me restraining the unwholesome or me letting go of the unwholesome. It doesn't have to be a me who's cultivating the wholesome, me who's sustaining it. Rather, those qualities are generated, recognized, worked with, guided by mindfulness and wisdom, satipanya, not guided by self-view, by the heart's attunement to the present reality, then the universe adjusts itself. If awareness is brought to a, a pain in the body, and there's a noticing, there's stress and tension there. And rather than, I should relax, I'm tense in my knee. Let's let that awareness receive that stressed, painful feeling. Let the awareness have its own effect. With mindfulness, wisdom, the muscles relax, the attitudes relaxes. The body adjusts its own posture the universe adjusts itself. And those adjustments are going to be in accordance with nature, in accordance with Dhamma. The greater the clarity of awareness. The more the mind is simply awake to the field of experience, physical and mental, it'll notice where there's grasping and tensing. Bring the awareness to that spot, let the awareness have its own effect. Then letting go happens, but it's not me letting go. Clarity and peacefulness is sustained, but it's not me being peaceful, me sustaining the clarity, the concentration. It's guided by mindfulness and wisdom. There's no self view involved. So this is an active path. It's a path of effort, of doing. But that doing, that effort, is free of self-view. If it is, it'll lead to peacefulness, to nibbana. If effort is based on self-view, on me and I should and I must and I want, even if what's being done is just watching, quote-unquote, just me observing. That me-ness, that I-ness, creates more suffering. That's how it works. So the significant element is self-view. If practice is free of self-view, then great effort can be made. Very specific direction can be given. But that effort at directing is fully in accordance with Dhamma. Therefore, it leads to peacefulness.